Join From Beer to the Bible every week as Irvin Lee and co-host Sarah Oliveira McDonald warn others of the consequences of drug and alcohol addiction by being the voice of faith-based recovery. Every week, Irvin and Sarah help people get access to the treatment and counseling they so desperately need. They explore the depths of addiction and give practical life examples of how to recover and develop a new rhythm of living. The show is gritty, authentic, and simply raw while being rooted in the love, faith, and hope of God. Welcome to From Beer to the Bible. Hello and welcome to From Beer to the Bible. I'm your co-host, Sarah McDonald. Today we have a very special guest, PJ Dunn. Say hi, PJ. Hello, everyone. How are y'all doing? Before we begin, we'd like you to like, share, and subscribe to our show, FromBeerToTheBible.com. And as always, we're going to come to you in scripture first. We are coming to you in James 1.12 today. Loving God under trials. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Amen. Amen. Yes. Well, welcome to the show, PJ. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for asking me to come. We were just catching up before the show since Irvin um, prompted me that I was going to host the show today. We didn't get to know (laughs) each other. So we were talking before the show. um, And the name of the show today is um, God's Love During Trials. God's Love During Trials. And so we just like to start the show with getting to know you a little bit and getting to know your story, um, a little bit of your testimony, what brought you to the Lord. Um, and how God's love um, showed up during your trials personally. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I absolutely love it. So uh, I'm 53 now, so it was just 20 years ago. So the, 33, the age that, that Jesus Christ was now leaving the earth after being here for just that short period of time that he was here. Uh, it was just me going to a party and met up with a guy that was a preacher's kid. And we were playing this game against, it was guys versus girls in some sort of trivia game. And we had won and we we're like, hey, you're pretty cool. You're pretty cool. We should hang out sometime, that sort of thing. Uh, and so it turns out that he was a, a guy that was, um, he worked on Java. So he, he was a tech guy and I was a tech recruiter at the time. Okay. And he lost his job and was gonna have to go somewhere else, perhaps maybe move back home. And I was like, no, 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 don't do that. I can find your job. I'm a tech recruiter. This is easy. Uh, so I moved. I don't know why I did this, but I moved from a one bedroom into a two bedroom and said, you can actually stay here. That's how confident I was that I was going to be able to place this guy. <laughs> but really, this was God moving. Yeah. He's going to have a preacher's son now living with a worldly PJ at that time. And so he, I would see him and he'd invite me to go to church with his girlfriend. And I was like, no, nah, it's OK. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and he, eventually, at one point, he was going on Wednesday nights. I'm like, they have church on Wednesday nights? What are you doing? He's like, oh, it's me and a couple of guys were getting together and we're reading a book called The Sacred Romance. Guys reading a book called Sacred Romance. <laughs> no, it's Eldridge. It's about a sacred romance, a, a personal relationship with Christ. And I was like, yeah, uh, no, I won't go. You guys go ahead and do your thing. But after a while, I've seen him go religiously every Wednesday and in church every Sunday. I was like, what's it going to hurt? Yeah. So I went met this great group of guys that are still good friends to this very day good godly guys all of them still married interestingly enough as well and at some point they were like at the end hey let us pray for you and i was like y'all want to pray for me i'm just patrick's roommate i'm just here to hang out i'm not really you know all into this god stuff (laughs) and they were like no no really we want to pray for you i was like oh uh we'll just pray that uh work gets better yeah that's it i just threw something out to him 
And they were like, yeah, sure. Next thing you know, they bowed their heads, grabbed my hand, and started to pray, and I grabbed my hand. I was like, what is going on? What are these people doing, right? And then next thing I know, I was like, okay. And then it was Patrick's girlfriend said, you ought to come to church with us. I heard you went to the men's group. You should go to the church. You should go to church with us. I was like, hey, pushy Christians. <laughs> so did you have God in your life as a child or anything before that? Well, my dad was a non-practicing Baptist who okay. married a non-practicing Catholic and okay. my mom. So, and then they became Jehovah's Witnesses at some point. So when it came to God, I was all confused about what does stuff yeah. mean and the way they grew up. They didn't really seem to like church much, so I didn't really seem to care about it much. Did you grow up going to church or anything or just? I went a couple of times, okay. a few times. The, to uh, the different denomination yeah, different denominations okay. so there's a baptist church and there's a Jehovah's witness church and there's a catholic yeah. church and i was just like i don't know what this is all about and they're not practicing so yeah. it's not like so that's why i grew up agnostic in college okay. and then here i am you know many years after college you know and here's patrick and next thing i know i, I do go to church an elder took uh interest in me and said hey let's get let's get together with me i'd like to talk to you and it was because Scott Martin said, let's go to lunch. Yeah. And then we sat down and he asked me to tell my whole story, which I'm not telling the whole story here. It'll make some people cry. And he was actually almost tearing up on a lot of it. And then he just pulled out a napkin and wrote on the napkin, like Jesus writing in the sand. And people wondered, what is he doing, right? That's what he was doing on a napkin. And then he turned around and handed it to me. And it said, and I still remember to this day, and I still have the napkin in the Bible that I had at that time too. And it said, uh, God is good. God wants to give you his goodness. You can't, you can't save yourself. God is faithful to save. And then I read that and he goes, do you believe that's true? And I was like, well, yeah, that sounds like what God would do. And he's like, okay, so would you give your life to Christ? <sighs> you pushy Christians, wow. <laughs> I was like, you know, that's a lot. He goes, well, if you were dying today, where would you go, heaven or hell? I'm like, you're not supposed to ask stuff like that. No, Scott's like, no, I'm serious, I'm real. I'm, I'm really being serious with you. Where do you think you'd go? And I was like, well, uh, I imagine I would go to heaven because I'm basically a good dude and you know, that's what God does. And he goes, what if, and Scott says, what if I tell you it's more than that? Oh. And I was like, more than that? And he goes, yeah, let, let's talk about it. And then we had this wonderful conversation and at the end of it, at a Chili's during rush hour lunch period, I gave my life to Christ. Two weeks after going to Patrick and his girlfriend's church, for the first time. Okay, I have to know a little bit more about what exactly he said that it's more than that. What are the cliff notes? Give me the cliff notes yeah, on that yeah. because our viewers are people who are Christians mm -hmm. and um, maybe people that had Christianity when they were younger and they got off path and they're in their addiction right now and they're yeah. listening to the show because yeah. um, they want something more. And so I'm just, I'm just curious for our listeners out there, what was that conversation like? What, well, what he did was he picked up on some things. He was really paying attention to who I was as a person, not as just, here's a project I want to fix. So he recognized really quickly that I love to study, I love to read, and I love all these sort of things. And he also picked up on the idea that I said I didn't really read the Bible much because who did really back then? We just kind of went to church, we listened, and then we left. And yeah. it was boring and that sort of thing. And uh, he said, no, I think the way you're built, you would love to learn to read the Bible and learn more about Christ. And I'm like, yeah, I would, because I'm a learner, which yeah. is one of my top five strengths, Cliff and Strengths. Okay. How that ties into what we were talking about earlier. I am a learner and I'm a researcher, actually. So he's like, so this is great for you because you're older. This will be your faith, not your parents' faith. Yes. So I want you to read the book that you never really read. And I was like, yeah, I'd like that, actually. Make sure this stuff is above board. He goes, that's good. So we had a class called, it was like a welcome to hermeneutics class. 
right? Where they teach you how to read the Bible, not read yourself into the Bible, how the Bible speaks for itself. Oh. Sarah, I took that class seven times. Oh, wow. That's how interested I was in it. That's how hungry I was, but did not know it. Yeah. And so now, after I took it the seven times, Scott said, I want you to go teach the class. Wow. I was like, me? I'm a baby Christian. What, what, how could I? He goes, no, no, no. I watched you in that class. And you absorb things really well. And I think you have a heart that wants to understand. You just weren't told when you were younger, when you were living with your parents. So he was very perceptive, very smart man. And so I was like, wow, I'm glad that God brought Patrick into my life, who then brought Scott Martin into my life. Scott Martin is bold. Yeah. He will ask you straight up, what's up? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like how he puts you on the spot. He's yes. like, are you going to heaven? Or are you going to hell? Yeah. That's like scary. Yes. I don't know time. what I would do right there. I'd be like, hell, <laughs> I am a bad person. Um, so just through your trials, how mm -hmm. would you um, define God's love? Yeah, I love personally? it. So God's love is something that's something that you totally need, something that you totally never fully understand. But something that once you learn how great it really is, you won't want anything else. Yeah. When you learn that, when you have God's love, so it just, I have this on my wrist, you see it here, it's, it's John 15, 13, which says no greater love, right? So your dad loves you, your mom loves you, your, you know, your children love you if you have kids, but they don't like you. They don't love you the way, the way Jesus loves you. Yeah. And they love you a lot to some degree, unless you have some differences with them. But what's interesting is God's love knows no bounds. So how did you find God's love um, as an early Christian? And especially for our viewers who um, they want God's love or perhaps, um, you know, as a child, they knew God loved them. That was my experience. I knew God loved me. Mm -hmm. I knew God loved me through my struggles, through my addiction. Mm -hmm. But when I went into treatment and felt Jesus Christ again for the first time and I gave everything. I surrendered at the cross, mm. all of my, um, substance use disorder. I, I gave him everything, just all of my, um, worries, all of my fears, everything. I felt that love in every aspect of my body. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it, what, what happens is, is when you go out and you taste the world, the world gives you what you think you might love, right? Yes. So you think it's alcohol. You think it's attention from the opposite sex. You think it's money. You think it's the car. You think it's the clothes. You think it's all these things that can't give you life. And then once you realize I have all those things and I'm still not happy, yeah. then you know, well, there's still one thing that's still nagging at you. At least for me, it was. If you come from a home that was already teaching you about Christ in the way that they knew how, and it turned into like, no, I really want to know who Jesus is. I want to hear anybody else's opinion. I want to know who you are, God. So I would say that. I said, God, show me who you are. Tell me where yeah. you are. Why? Where were you? Why weren't my parents believers? Why weren't they better believers? Why didn't they teach me? Why didn't? Why did I have to wait till now, the age of thirty-three at that time, to learn this? This could have saved me so much heartache. And then God's God's wisdom is just like, oh, wait, wait until you see what's about to happen, and you probably weren't able to handle it until now in your thirties. So. Here I am, and you know, here I am 20 years later. Uh, men's ministry, been involved in it for 14 years. Absolutely love it. I'm involved in the racial reconciliation piece. I'm involved in anything that has to do with us understanding that we're made in God's image. So quit trying to remake God's image into our own image because yeah. it, it sucks. It doesn't work well. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how many times you try it, no matter how many times you put lipstick on a pig, as they say, it still doesn't match up to God's love and what he's already done for you, what he's doing for you, and what he's yet to still do for you. 
Well, you just answered my next question, which was, <laughs> when did you truly embrace God's love for yourself and others, which is what you're doing as a ministry now? Yes. Um, so during trials, tests, and struggles, how did God's love help you endure um, and even prosper in your life? We talked about your career and what you're doing now. So um, mm-hmm. tell the listeners a little bit about you know, what you're doing now and um, how that evolved. So what I get to do today is I'm a professional listener, if you will. And then somebody who might put in some insights based off of the gaps that I hear in people's uh, stories that they can't see because we all have blind spots. Mm -hmm. But what's great about blind spots is that if you're around good people, they'll see the blind spots, but they won't attack you for those deficiencies and those gaps. What they'll do is they'll love you through it. Yeah. And you better hope they know Jesus because the people who know Jesus will love you through it well. They know how to say, listen, this is not the time to beat you up over some bad things you've done. Because God's job isn't to just make bad people good. It's to help people who are now dead in their sin become alive. And once you know that, and once you're alive, then you can't stop talking about that. So as a professional, yes, uh, I'm certified as a behavioral strategist and a professional development coach. So I'm always in a position where I have to listen, which is good. And so when you listen, you get to hear where people are. You get to hear where they hope to go. And then you get to see what they're willing to do about it or not willing to do about it. And then you just get to sit there and, and speak into that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, I used to work for GE. Um, and before I got into my addiction, I would have loved to have had a coach like you that kind of like explained to me, hey, this is the new job. I'm, I'm you know, fresh meat out of college. Um, how do I handle the credit card? How do I handle the work yeah. functions? How do I handle all that stuff? And if I would have potentially have gone to you, maybe I would not have become an alcoholic and gotten so far down the road. So that is his role is to kind of bridge the gap between yeah. um, corporate America and where you are and where you want to be and move them forward. Am I correct in that? That is correct. And sometimes it's the people that are already at the top because now that they're at the top, they're going, now well, what? what else is there for me? Yeah. They're saying, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And they've been practicing law for maybe 25, 30 years. And they're still saying, I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up. And that's that's really a call to say, I'm, I'm not as fulfilled as I thought I would be. And so, okay, if you're not as fulfilled, then what would be? And some people, Sarah, you, you'd like to hear this. It's some people, they just think, get up, work, do the job, make money, yeah. take care of the family. And you're not supposed to have a happy life. Yeah. Just go do that and quit complaining. And then when they sit down with me, I'm like, no, you've had a wonderful life. Look at the things you've gotten to do already. Yeah. Now let's talk about what would you like to do beyond this? And some people feel like they just don't have options. And it's like, no, you always have options. As long as your brain is willing to click and continue to go for you, there's always options because the brain can always imagine a lot of different things. Yeah. Right. And God built that brain. He built that brain to be malleable. So you can learn bad things, but you can also unlearn them. Yeah. Right. So that's the prodigal son, Luke 15. When he came to his senses, repented, turned around, and he went back home. Right. That was a complete change in the mind and the brain yeah. and this guy went back so that's great that god built the brain to where it is malleable so that while we may learn bad things there's also a way to unlearn the bad things and come back to him yeah and that's by design so i, I love that so <laughs> how have you found joy in your trials see joy is a very important word i know <laughs> because a lot of people throw around the word happy using it as it's a, as if it's a synonymous to joy but i i don't think it is completely i think 
happiness is just something that can be fleeting. It's because of happening. So yeah. if it's sunny outside and I love sunny days, I'm happy. But if I get a cloudy day, if that affects my whole mood, that's a waste of the rest of the day just because of that. Joy says, whether it's sunny or cloudy outside, my step is going to have the same spring in it. Yeah. I'm just going to be, I'm going to greet people just as politely as I've ever done before. And I'm still going to be, you know, uh, charitable to the people who are less fortunate. We'll talk a little bit more about that because, you know, I can I can find myself having joy and then get burnt out. And a lot of us, you know, with the pandemic and whatnot, we're oh seeing a lot of burnout yes. and more people are coming to us for drug and alcohol treatment, for mental health treatment, a lot yes. of suicides happening. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about not only happiness, it's like they have never found true joy in what that looks like. And so being yeah. alone yeah. was the worst thing that could ever happen from whether they knew it or not. Yeah. Well, here's the interesting thing about joy. So I was doing some research on this because I've always been interested in joy. I was like, am I joyful? Like, because I always think of joy as someone who's just walking around. And they just like they're happy every day. Like, yeah. Right. And I'm like, is that is that joy? So when I looked it up scripturally, I noticed that joy in the Old Testament was something that was an enthusiasm that could not be kept in. And so the picture of that is David when he got the Ark of the Covenant back and he was so exuberant, so joyful that he was able to return the Ark of the Covenant back to the Israelites that he stripped down and danced naked while they were bringing it in. And remember his wife was embarrassed and all this other stuff happened and it was and it really turned into a, a sour disposition. But joy is that David could not have that joy without God because God was the one who said, the Ark of the Covenant this is what I'm giving to you guys. This is what you have to kind of understand me until you really get to fool me, which would be Jesus Christ putting on the flesh and walking with people. Yeah. So David's joy to have this big back into his life caused him to celebrate. Joyful people are people who celebrate. They're not people who are like, yeah, yeah, it worked well this week. But let's see if this happens next week. It's not that cynicalness. Yeah. It is really that... I understand joy is that God provided, and that's how we got this thing back. Try to have joy without God, you got happiness, because it won't sustain. True. When you truly understand who God is and what he's done for you, then your joy goes great because you know, I don't deserve this. Yeah. I don't deserve this at all, right? And so if you look at in the New Testament, joy is used in this. It's, it's was Jesus saying, I want you to, to remember this. You know, so that my joy may be complete. And John wrote, hey, guys, all that stuff I saw that happened that Jesus was doing, I'm writing this down so that my joy will be complete. So joy also has this piece to it that in the Old Testament, it was coming out where it was enthusiastic. And then when you see in the New Testament, it's something that it, it radiates and it comes out and also wants to get people to understand, like, listen, here's where your true joy is. So for John to say, I'm writing this so that you, so it might complete my joy. Yeah. Knowing that you're going to have joy upon hearing it. It seems to give. Well, yeah, I love, uh, we like to talk about the Holy Spirit because a lot of people don't talk about the Holy Spirit. And when you're talk, whenever you were talking about joy, it reminds me of just the Holy Spirit, that inner being, yes. that constant whisper telling you what to do. Um, because if I really dig deep into that or I'm in prayer, the Holy Spirit is guiding me. And it's never um, pain and suffering. It's mm -hmm. always joyful. Yeah. And so I that's what just came to me whenever mm -hmm. you were talking about that is just yeah. the Holy Spirit. And that's yeah. the, what the New Testament brought us that um, we didn't have before. So yeah. joy does live within us mm -hmm. if we want to pursue it. It's true. I mean, think about it. If you put joy in the stock market. That, that won't be good. If you put joy <laughs> in the latest line of clothing, well, that'll eventually go out and it'll be a fad. If you put joy in just your family, certain family members 
will leave the earth early. They'll have certain things will happen, and not that you don't have joy in them. But if you make joy anything external, anything outside of God, it's going to collapse. I know. So therefore, so awesome. the truest joy then is when you finally recognize how God has loved you, continues to love you, is going to love you through the things He already knows you're going to do wrong. That doesn't surprise Him. Yeah. And then He's still there. So I think the psalmist. Uh, David said in Psalm 3, 3, he says, uh, the Lord is my God and my glory and the lifter of my head. Right? Yeah. So when you read the Bible, especially the Psalms, they're melancholy. David's up, he's down, he's up, he's down, he's up, he's down. But when he's up, it's the joy of the Lord that he's talking about and how he's protected from all sides. Yeah. Right? When he's down, it's when he's focused on how many people are coming after him. How many people are trying to kill him? Yeah. His family coming after him. His former aides now working for his son, whose son is trying to kill him. Israel split into north and south. So thanks, David. Look what you did. You just split the country into north and south, right? All of that. So he had a lot on his mind. And yet in those caves, when he's writing this stuff, he's able to show the joy in it and then also the pain, but then yeah. the joy again. The the <laughs> incredible thing when you're talking about that, you're you were talking way up here for me, which I understand it, but a lot of people don't understand. But for me, I grew up Catholic too. Yeah. And, you know, we'd go to church every Sunday and it was like repetition, repetition, which strengthened and confirmed a lot of my Christianity. I, I mean, I had a great foundation, but I never had a relationship with Christ. Yeah. And right when I finished college, I would go to different churches and those those Baptists, they have their hands in the air. And I'm like, I want what I want that. I want to praise and worship like that. Yeah. But I didn't know how it felt very foreign to me. Yeah. And it wasn't until I surrendered and I went to treatment and I came back to church mm -hmm. that every single worship song became joyful. I put my hands in the air. Yeah. Basically, I mean, on it was the Holy Spirit, like I didn't put my hands in the air. They were going in the air because I was so happy and mm -hmm. full of joy mm -hmm. for what the Lord just did to me. Yeah. And it's been on fire ever since. I've yeah. been sober almost 13 years now. Well, and congratulations. so, yeah. So Good that's, I mean, that's, I mean, sometimes I feel like I lose that joy, mm -hmm. um, but I'm able to get back on the beam a lot quicker, if you will. And yeah. so, um, so what is the purpose for trials, do you think? Well, the trials are there to show us that it's not in our strength that we're going to get anything done, right? Because it's in our weakness that God's strength shows up and shows up in full power. So the trials are just like anything else. Like if you're going to get an airplane, before that plane gets up in the air, they're going to test it. Yeah. Because they're not just going to put a plane up there and put a bunch of people in it and say, yeah, it'll fly because we built it. No. Notice anything that's ever built or manufactured gets tested first before they put it out there. Cars get tested to see how they'll crack, right? So really what we're doing is we're trying to understand the integrity of the situation. And so the trials show us where how far away we actually are from God so that then we'll do something like an accelerator, step on the accelerator, how do we get closer to him? Yeah. Right, that's what the trials are for. They're there to, to as the scripture said just earlier than that, I think in verse five or six, it said it was there for the completion of your faith and not that you'll be 100% complete Right, because we're working through salvation to get there. Right, through mortification, dying of old self, vivification, learning of new, the new man that Paul talks about that you need to put on. You're either yeah. walking in the flesh, or you're walking in the spirit. Right, and so we're in that process of getting there. And so the trials still let you know, oh yeah, you still have some things. Yeah, that are holding you up. The thorn in the side is what yeah. I like to yes. remind myself of. And once you move closer to God, which the scripture we just read talks about the reward that you get right? yeah. the, the crown of life. And so 
if God's going to give you reward, that's something. If I give you a reward, it might be $20 to go with the gift card. To yeah. shop, you know. But see, when God gives you a reward, nobody outgives God. Yeah. Nobody gives you a better gift than God. We've talked about <laughs> suffering a lot on the show because a lot of our listeners and a lot of Christians think that you don't have to suffer or there should be no suffering to get to where you. And we've kind of talked on the show about you have to go through the suffering to get to. And so can you talk a little bit about that in your journey yeah, with that? Absolutely. Well, suffering has to happen. There's no one that hasn't suffered. If you go look at the scripture and you start for Genesis to Revelation, show me one person that went through their whole life without any suffering. No, life is suffering because we know there's an evil enemy adversary out there who walked up to the first couple who were perfect, by the way. They were perfect yeah. and he still got them to sin. So it's not about your perfection and you stride and trying to do all that stuff. It's about whose are you? We're God's children. We're yeah. made in his image. So suffering is a part of it. So the way I see suffering is while it's not fun, right? But anything that's growing you or stretching you usually isn't fun. Yep. Right. So even if you Absolutely. go to the gym, yeah. right? And you're trying to lose weight because the doctor says, if you don't lose a couple of pounds, you're going to struggle with inflammation and it's going to be hard on your heart and blah, 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 blah. Nobody likes to just show up in the gym and just try to lift weights, yeah. right? But if you do and you get the right mindset, you'll suffer. But after a while, you go look at you three months after the fact and you'll see that you've lost some weight. Your face is clearing out. The inflammation isn't there. Your joints aren't as stiff. So no, suffering is part of it. If you're not suffering, something's wrong. Yeah. I would be scared if you weren't suffering. That's why we say one day at a time in 12-step recovery. And yeah. um, it, it's kind of cliche when we say that. And, and people <laughs> who have not gotten sober yet are like, oh, what are they talking about? When? Yeah. But literally, do mm. what your hands can do. If you're thinking about the past, you're in a depressive state of mind. If you're thinking about the future, you're usually in a state of anxiety. And if you just do what's right in front of you, yeah. the next right thing, yeah. you're usually content and okay. And if you can do that good, yeah. one day at a time, mm. then you put those days together, yeah. you will start to seep in some happiness, which could turn into joy eventually. Yes. Same thing with scripture, same mm. thing with um, reading the Bible. Um, we talk a lot about studying on this show because you know, a lot of people who first get sober or who are getting sober um, want to know more about the Bible, want to learn more, but they feel like they don't know how to achieve that, you know? And so just being a teacher of the Bible yourself, mm -hmm. what would you tell to people who are just starting out how to, um, how to take, how to take the Bible into smaller doses? Yeah, I love that. So to my own testimony, what I would just use my own testimony. So I had to go to a bookstore, a Christian bookstore, to buy a Bible because I didn't have one. And I wanted to say, okay, well, if I'm going to have this book and this book is the Word of God, then I need to go home and read it. So then the first thought was, well, what do you, where do you start? So I said, all right, I'll just start with Genesis. And so I start reading Genesis and everybody's like, they feel like, everybody feels like they already know Genesis. But as I read it, right after you get past, after you created humans, the scripture that stuck out was the one that said, uh, and Adam was alone. Hmm. But it was God who said that. And he really wasn't alone because he had the God of the universe. But what did he mean by alone? Right. So just sitting down, looking at Genesis, a story we think we all know, there's things that you can pick out. So I would say, just go read some of the stories that you may have heard. The accounts maybe you love, maybe you love James, maybe you love Peter, maybe it's Paul for you, maybe it's David. But just go pick any one of those. Start bite size. How do you eat an elephant? One sliver at a time. The Bible is a huge element. You know, it's like 40 different authors, 66 different books written yeah. over 2,000 years. But just go pick the one that calls to you. And you know what it is because God 
yeah. have these writers write so that it would be attractive and sticky to you. Yeah. So if it's Paul, then go read Paul. If you're a doctor, then read Luke because you'll love Luke because he was a physician. Right. If you're a singer, read the Psalms because those are all songs written by David, a guy who could play a harp. You're a musician. There's connections. Yeah. So just take the bit that makes the most sense to you and then slow down and just read it. So when I read It's Not Good for Man to Be Alone, I was like, wow, that's exactly how I feel right now yeah. is alone. And then seeing that God didn't intend for that. That's the very first thing we read in the Genesis account that was not good was that man was alone. Yeah. So he creates a companion. So what this tells us is community is it too. You cannot Absolutely. sit there by yourself all alone in your own thoughts because you can't govern yourself well. Yeah. If you could have, you wouldn't make all the mistakes you make, right? So here you get this understanding of this book's reading you while you're reading it. And then you go get around other believers and you say, hey, you know, I've been reading this. Can, can I share this with you? Yeah. And tell other people what you read. And, and then, the interpretation can be different. Absolutely can be different. And I love that because I've read the Bible so many times and different things yeah. pop out at me at different times of my life. Yes. And they mean more, they mean less. Or, um, you know, I read something new every single time I pick that Bible up, which is fascinating to me. Absolutely. Well, And you should. You should always pick up something new. Because as I was saying off camera, though, like you are always evolving. We're always growing. We're always getting better because that's the way we're made. We're made so wonderfully in that way, according to the Psalms. You know, 139, 14, we're made wonderfully and uniquely. We're God's workmanship. Yeah. Right. So instead of made in the USA, it's made by God, stamped on every one of us. Yeah. The difference is some of us are channeling in and saying, give me more, Lord. Give me more, Lord. And that's actually the one thing that if you were given a lot of God, it wouldn't do what things that would addict you would do. Because the more you take any, anything in that addicts you, it actually destroys you. But if you were addicted to God, it wouldn't destroy you. It would actually bring you more life, just the other direction. Absolutely. I love <laughs> that. So our last question, we only yes. have a, a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. um, what advice would you have for others receiving, walking, and sharing God's love with others? Yeah. I think the first thing I would say is breathe. Breathe. It's the enemy's job is to make you feel like the whole weight of the world is on your shoulders, but you're not Atlas. Yeah. The weight of the world's actually on God's shoulders, not yours. So breathe first. And then after you breathe, have a conversation with God. That's what prayer is, a link for us to talk to God. And when you talk to him, don't talk to him like you expect he's going to do something this exact moment because God's timing is perfect. So say, so have that prayer that's honest. God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening to me right now. In fact, I'm actually kind of angry. In fact, I'm angry at you, God. See, God can take that. Yeah. That's not like God's going, oh, no, they found me out. That's yeah. not what he's doing. God's like, yeah, yeah, bring it. You're closer. You're getting closer because the more you're willing to point and say, God, you haven't done this for me. Well, you're still believing in God and you can blame him. That's true. You wouldn't blame him if you didn't believe anymore, if you were an atheist or an agnostic. Yeah. But you're still there. The problem is the wires are crossed and you don't hear the message that God is telling you. You're making the message something else. And it's probably a worldly message that has to do with your flesh because your flesh wants what the flesh wants. Yeah. And once you surrender, I feel like he continues to pour into you and give life For to certain. you and breathe life into you. And it just gets more and more and more and more and better and better. And you just want to study more. If God would come down off the throne himself to put on flesh just to say, Hi, guys, I'm actually here. This is the, how they have the book. What is it? Something for dummies. This was like God for dummies. Look, I'm going to put on flesh because yeah. I know it's hard to understand this eternal God that you can't see. So I'm going to put on flesh and walk with you. I'm going to get hungry like you. I'm going to get thirsty like you. I'm going to get hot like you. And I'm going to be persecuted just like you. Yeah. But the difference is I won't sin. 
because I love you. And only it takes something perfect to, ran, to ransom for something perfect. Yeah. Right? Can't it's unbelievable something to think about all of that stuff. Totally. I watched The Chosen and I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Um, okay. Well, thanks for coming on the show, PJ. Um, if our viewers want to reach out to you and learn more about coaching, is there a way that they can reach you? Absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn. So it's my name, PJ Dunn, CCP Certified Coaching Practitioner. So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook under the name of my company, which is Dunn Coaching, Dunn Consulting. So it's like DC, DC, LLC, it rhymes. And then you can find me on Instagram also under my name, just PJ Dunn, CCP. And I have a website as well, which is the Dunn Coaching, Dunn Consulting LLC website. And I'd love to talk to anyone. If you're in a space where you just need to talk to someone, I at least know how to listen. I can promise you that much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Don't forget to like, subscribe to our show from beertothebible.com. Thanks, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this week's From Beer to the Bible. Make sure to tune in next week when Irvin and Sarah gift you with even more addiction recovery information. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And remember, we're always there for you.